What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. We got Jays Jumpers, Jaron Jackson Juniors, John Morantz, Joe Johnsons. We don't have John Morantz, though, and I keep forgetting, um, but we're just going to keep rolling uh, this time around. We do have Jimmy Butler's still kicking, Nikola Jokic's still kicking, Jamal Murray's perhaps, if if you if you if you'd like. But we've got Jason Gunn for today. Josh, how are you doing? I'm starting to think about the kind of questions I want to ask you for our golf and soccer podcast coming up. Mm. And I was starting to think about how I'm not really sure what I'm going to do with that for some <laughs> of those. And then the last 48 hours happened. And now we have all kinds of things to talk about on both fronts. <laughs> yep. 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 It's wait the the preparation of those two podcasts. Not going to be difficult this no. time around. Not going to be difficult. <laughs> perhaps a, perhaps like the like the the biggest golf news ever, perhaps, and the most popular soccer player ever, perhaps, mm-hmm. coming to MLS in the same twenty four hours is. <laughs> It's pretty spectacular when it comes to the Jays for Days basketball hiatus in the middle of the summer. It's going to be a good time. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm sure I'll be sick and tired of talking about it by that time, but then we'll <laughs> we'll just keep on rolling right through. I did have that thought. I have so many questions, and now we're going to sit here for a few weeks, and then I'm going to ask these questions. Yeah. It's okay. Maybe there's will be actual answers to those questions by the time you ask them, because that's the thing right now is that there are no <laughs> answers to any of the questions. Right, right. It just seems kind of like a we'll agree to figure it out kind yes. of a deal. We're going to do it. We don't right. know how. Exactly. Exactly. So. Maybe there will be actual answers to the questions uh, that you'll want to ask in, in, in uh, a couple of weeks. But before we get to that, we have an NBA draft to talk about. We're two weeks away as of now from the 2023 NBA draft. It is the morning of June 8th. Hello. Good morning to you. And on the evening of June 22nd, we will have an NBA draft. Thus, it's time to talk about the NBA draft. We kind of opened the Pandora's box last week with the final draft declaration. Draft declaration day. What a powerful name. Draft declaration day and the guys that that was more of a college focused pod because most of the big decisions were guys coming back to college, namely Zach Eadie, the presumed preseason national player of the year. On his way back to Purdue, we've done this podcast, the NBA Draft Superlatives podcast, three years in a row now. Is that correct? Something like that. I think it's three. It's at least three because last year, well, two years, three podcasts at least. Yes. Because last year we had 2021 picks to to, uh, reminisce and revisit on. So two calendar years, three podcasts. That's where we're at right now. So. We're going to do the same today. We have, what is it, 10 categories? I believe Mm -hmm. it's 10. That seems like a a well-rounded number that we would normally We like 10. And we we like five, we like 10. Don't come in here with seven categories. We We might have to fight you. But we have 10 categories. 
we'll go through the 10 categories with our pick for the draft superlative this particular year. Last year, we revisited all of the picks from the previous superlatives podcast at the top. We're not going to do that this year. We're going to revisit briefly by category in an attempt to not spend 25 minutes on picks from a year ago like we did last year. So did I miss anything? Anything you want to add on top of that ice cream sundae before we dive into it? No, let's do it. Let's do it. Um, Real quick, the 10 categories that we're going to jump through in the podcast. Most intriguing, most risky, most likely steal, highest ceiling, highest floor, most exciting, most NBA ready, biggest project, and then most fit dependent. Those are the 10. We also have most overhyped. Did I miss that? I think so. Most overhyped. Sorry. I My think you just forgot to mention it. <laughs> most likely steal, most overhyped, highest ceiling, highest floor. We'll start with most intrigued. Most intriguing. I have them in the same order that you sent them to me, so I'm assuming we have them in the same order. Yes. Starting with most intriguing, Josh, who's your most intriguing player in the 2023 NBA draft? Anthony Black. Okay. He has all the things you can't teach, right? The size, the athleticism, the court vision. And also, watching him at Arkansas, I just feel like there isn't kind of one thing that blows you away of that's what he's going to do in the NBA. Sure. But I'm a huge fan, and I really, really like his game. And I said that during the season. It just doesn't necessarily show up on the box score. And it was the weird situation in Arkansas with, you know, this was supposed to be Nick Smith's team and then it wasn't and then he came back. I just feel like there are a lot of different ways Anthony Black's career could go Mm. and that teams could have significantly different evaluations of him based on the way he would fit into their current team and what they're valuing. To the to the point where he could go, you know, anywhere from four to ten, or maybe even farther down at the very end of the lottery, just based on how things go. Mm-hmm. I love the base skill set. The question is, what can he add to that at the next level, and how do teams feel about what he is offering right now? Yeah, he's an interesting candidate for fit dependent player, mm-hmm. but also. Maybe not because he could probably fit into any role that's not, hey, either be a spot-up shooter or be our main scoring threat. He's the opposite of a specialist. Right. Which in some ways would suggest that he's not fit-dependent. Right. But But I 100% see what you're saying. But could in a weird way be... It's fit-dependent in the sense of he needs to land on the team that just ends up asking him to do the right things, Right. Mm -hmm. but that list of things that possibly could be right. It's, it's a little Lonzo ballish of he does a lot of the little like glue things. And he's probably going to end up being the type of player that is just, just undoubtedly makes your team better when he's on the floor. Even if you, if it's just a bunch of little things that he does and just his pure versatility, right? 
of the fact that he allows you to do different things on both sides of the floor because he's a six seven point guard. Right. And that's kind of the way I feel about Lonzo Ball. Like Lonzo doesn't really do anything at an elite level. Maybe pass, and he's a good defender. But what he what Lonzo brings to the floor, and hopefully Lonzo can bring to the floor again. I'll be really sad if Lonzo doesn't play mm-hmm. another NBA basketball game because of yeah. his lower body injuries. But what Lonzo does is more abstract, right? Glue glue guy puts everybody in the right spots. He kind of enables everybody else's very tangible skills to be heightened. And I feel like Anthony Black will will kind of fit into that same bubble. Mm -hmm. I'm going from the top rope immediately with my most intriguing. (laughs) My most intriguing are the Thompson twins. I'm kind of Mm. cheating here, but right. Both super athletic that are admittedly what I, you know, sifting through their overtime elite tape they're super fun to watch the the overtime elite play-by-play guy whoever that is not super fun to listen to he just kind of lost his mind every time one of the thompson twins did anything it was it was i had to put it on mute that's okay though these things happen i have two reasons though why the why the thompson twins are intriguing they're fourth and fifth on a lot of boards and I'm not sure either of them are a star. Mm-hmm. And that's the way I feel about most guys that the first bullet point on their draft profile is athletic. Yep. That's just kind of how I default. And when when you could be a dynamic scorer, but shooting is one of your possible downfalls, I just am going to raise an eyebrow 100% of the time. Mm-hmm. And here's the other thing. How am I supposed to feel about a, about guys being good scorers in the overtime elite? Right. Like it's it's basically just AAU with the worst guys on the floor having a higher floor. There's it, defense is just a suggestion, and and that's fine. I just I just think it's easy to be a highlight factory in the overtime mm-hmm. elite. That's just but, what it's there for. That's right. the whole point of it, and especially with their skill sets. Right, right. Where it's not, it's not fundamentals in shooting. It's look at these crazy good athletes, and and the guys that are going to eventually be locked down NBA defenders, they're not getting invites to the overtime elite. That's just not, that's just not really how it it works. And 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 to be fair, lockdown defenders are required to be more on the floor than just lockdown defenders in the way that they didn't used to be. But that's not the point of the overtime elite. So. I am just curious, intrigued by how those two translate to the NBA when the team that they were on existed basically to highlight them only. And if you asked me to bet on what they're going to be, I wouldn't bet on them being something that a team that drafts them fourth or fifth overall wants them to be. So... I I think they could they could fall into a slippery slope if they're asked to do too much early and when you're being drafted that high that's typically where you're going to end up is being asked to have the ball in your hands all the time and and that kind of thing. So I I like both of their I like both of their skill sets. I get it. This isn't really about me not liking the Thompson Twins. I I I find both of their games fun and 
serviceable, more than serviceable at the NBA level. I it's just they don't totally fit into the mold of what I want to see from two guys that are both probably going to go in the top five. And the, the additional intriguing factor is teams are kind of choosing between you and your brother. It's also true. Yeah. <laughs> just to, fur- to further your point of it's going to be a weird dynamic between them because. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're probably both going between four and eight. Who knows which one's going first, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And it seems like Asar is the better prospect, but Amen is the better scorer, which mm-hmm. is which is also intriguing to me. Yes. Yes. Anywho, who's your 2022 pick? Shaden Sharp. Shaden Sharp. Very nice. For, Very nice. for similar reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, mine was Pat Baldwin Jr. Uh, and I haven't heard anybody say Pat Baldwin Jr.'s yeah. name since. <laughs> but, you know, I was listening back to the pod because I didn't have the my 2022 superlative. Wherever they are, I either couldn't find them or it no longer exists. So I had to go back and kind of skip through the pod. And I, I, I thought my Pat Baldwin Jr. intrigue was sound, but none of it came to fruition, <laughs> much like his impact at the college level at Milwaukee. So that's most intriguing, most risky, Mr. Dorn. Uh, let's keep talking about the Thompson twins, specifically, okay. specifically Asar. Okay. Because like you said, I do feel like he is simultaneously – Viewed as the better, more complete prospect, and also is the more offensive limit, offensively limited one. So we are talking about potentially taking a player fourth overall with already defined offensive limitations who is coming from overtime elite and asking him to be an incredibly important part of your team in a foundational building block like we were just talking about. There are just a lot of unknowns here because we haven't seen people come from overtime elite. And like you, when (laughs) we're talking about, you know, doesn't have a complete offensive game, struggles shooting with top five overall pick, that inherently scares me. Because I feel like this is even more than Eamon, you're talking about what he can be and all of these things he can develop. Mm -hmm. Well, having never seen him even play against college players, let alone NBA players. And you and I are both wary of the raw potential kind of thing and skeptical that it comes, even if it works out, skeptical that all of it comes to fruition and that player becomes what they could be, not just a better player. Because obviously he's going to get player better playing against better competition. But can he get to the point where you, like you already said, where he is justifying being taken fourth, fifth overall? There are a lot of things I am already concerned about without even having him seen, you know, seen him playing in a summer league or something, which is going to be a significant step up in competition. Yeah, I agree with all of it. And it kind of is in the same vein as most intriguing mm-hmm. for all of those reasons. Um 
they are they are fascinating to me and i i was the same with the way i was supposed to feel about g league ignite last year and it's just it's a new place for players to come from and that doesn't mean it's a great place for players to come from necessarily and at least it just G- is and at least g league ignite is specifically focused on professional development right right where you know that that is an NBA kind of program they are entering into. Yeah. Yeah. That made me feel a lot better about the G League Ignite guys. Fair enough. My most risky player is Taylor Hendricks. Mm. This has less to do with Taylor Hendricks, the prospect, and more to do with where Taylor Hendricks is going to be picked in the draft. Because he's probably not going to make it past the Pacers at seven. And... I don't know. Against the best non-AAC teams he played this year, he was that's Miami, Oregon, and Missouri. He was 9 of 29 from the field in those three games. His best games of the season were against Tulsa, East Carolina, UNC Asheville, Wichita State, and Sanford. And it's not like he averaged 23 a game. I mean, 15 and 7 is really solid. But this is... I'm not impressed by this draft after the top three, to be honest with you, like really at all. And as a result, there are going to be teams that really need a productive player drafting guys that I'm not totally sold on their productivity. And like if you're, if you're drafting Taylor Hendricks at 14, 16, then I'm in because he has the defense. He has the three-point shooting. On the surface, it looks really good. But he's played one year at UCF, and it's not like he was blow-you-out-of-the-water spectacular. And to his credit, he had most of... Like, against Houston, he was much better in the second game against Houston than the first game against Houston, which I think is a... And, and and the first game against second game against Memphis and so the first game against Memphis, and I think that's at least hinting at a valuable ability to learn from the a defense that you've already seen, but I I just that's just I I think that's a lot for a guy who was at UCF and was inconsistent at best against some of the other, at least, you know, at least the teams that had the athletes to actually deal with him. So Taylor Hendricks is, is my, is my, is my risky guy here. He might, he might've been mine if the Thompson twins didn't exist. Mm. I want to save some of the Hendricks conversation for later, but from a risk standpoint. Yeah. The thing that stands out to me, is there's not a lot of offensive diversity there. Mm. He's a very good shooter, like you said. That is going to translate. That's very good. You know he's going to give you something. But there's a difference between being a 3 and D guy and being a two-way player, right? Mm -hmm. Kawhi Leonard and or Paul George Paul George are not the same as 
Now I'm trying to think of somebody who fits this category. Uh, People really want two-way guys. They don't really want three-and-D guys. Right. I guess maybe Matisse. Matisse Thibel? No. Who can't really shoot? I was trying to think of a defensive guy. I don't know. P.J. Tucker, maybe? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. P.J. Tucker is an excellent example, right? He's going to sit there in the corner offensively. That's who I was Mm -hmm. looking for. He's going to make some of them. You're going to be okay if he ends up shooting the ball. Mm Mm-hmm. But he's going to hurt you sometimes, right? He is a a factor. And he that does needs nothing to be... but sit in the corner. Like he sits right. in the corner and takes threes. He doesn't even right. take threes from anywhere else on the three right. point line. But he is a factor offensively that needs to be recognized. Sure, you're going to get that. Just watching some of Taylor Hendricks' highlights, there wasn't a lot of beating people off the dribble. Mm. <laughs> it was basically shooting the ball or dunking the ball. Mm-hmm. which is fine, right? It's all relative to expectations. Because I really do like him, and I'll explain some of that, some more as to why later. But from a risk standpoint, right, if you're taking this guy, if you're the Pacers, or somebody taking, you know, those four or five, the Rockets, and I don't think he's going to go this high, but the Pistons, right, there are teams outside of that top three that are trying to get toward competing. They're not in project mode. They're in start turning ourselves into a winner mode. And there are certainly things Taylor Hendricks is going to help you with. But it is another one of those. You're kind of betting on just the physical ability and the wow factor as opposed to the polished skill set because he doesn't have, at least to me, a really complete offensive repertoire where you've got to respect him with everything he does. He seems like much more of a spot-up shooter, which means you're only getting so much offensive production and offensive threat by adding him if you're taking him, right, top five, top seven, as opposed to 16. He could be fun in Indiana, though. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. That would be a good spot. That would be much better than, you know, the Magic are picking at six, and it's more just like a, I'm not sure he gets to play ever if he plays for the Magic. Um, and then the other one is the Wizards at eight. Don't go to the Wizards at eight. Please don't go to the Wizards at eight. But if you get to play with, you know, defenses having to worry about Benedict Matherin, and you can kind of be the floor spacer next to him and be a pick-and-roll guy, pick-and-pop guy with Tyrese Halliburton, I'm in. Sure. It's, 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 it really is less about... Taylor Hendricks, yeah. the draft prospect, and yep. more about picking Taylor Hendricks at seven versus right. picking Taylor Hendricks at 14. But that's mm-hmm. just the nature of the draft this year. Yep. Uh, your pick, my 2022 pick was Shaden Sharp. Who was mm. yours? Jaden Ivey. Jaden Ivey, sure. We're going to revisit him too. I said a lot of that. We had a lot of uh, alternating. We had Shaden Sharp and Jaden Ivey. That was a lot of the first, like, 20 minutes of the superlatives <laughs> conversation because we both had a lot to say about him in kind of different spots. But mm-hmm. Shane Sharp was my 2022 pick. Yours, Jaden Ivy. You're most likely steal this year. Derek Whitehead. Oh, okay. I like that. I have a similar guy. And he's having surgery again, or he just had surgery. I don't know if it's happened yet or not. Which then leads to questions about whether he was ever, ever healthy at Duke. 
And my thing is, what is the concern other than, and this is a big other, but other than the injury? If he can get the foot finally healthy, it's not like anything you saw at Duke gives you pause in terms of what he is as a player. He is a phenomenal athlete who can be a really good defender and shoots the lights out. Now, he didn't score 15 points a game at Duke, but also there are plenty of other players who went through and did something similar at Duke or Kentucky, right? Where they got drafted based off of potential and what they showed because those teams don't let you go score 20 points a game. And he was coming in off of the injury, so he was just trying to get up to speed. There are a lot of things I'm willing to kind of look past in terms of Derek Whitehead's season at Duke. And I still came away going, I really, really like him as an NBA prospect and like his game Mm -hmm. if he can just stay healthy and get to realize his potential. And so he's not going 12th. He's probably going in the first round. But he is absolutely a guy I look at. If I'm, you know, pick 27 here, I'm some playoff team, let's say the Knicks, just as an example, where you still need more talent to really get to where you want to be. And it's difficult to get the kind of player that's going to actually elevate you that late in the draft. To me, he is the kind of player that two years from now, you can look at and go, that guy's making an actual difference, right? Kind of like Cam Johnson and Michael Bridges for the Suns. Not Mm -hmm. necessarily your star, but a guy that you feel good about that is actually helping a really good basketball team and is a foundational piece moving forward. I really feel like he can be that if he ends up in the right spot and stays healthy. I'm going to drop, drop Nick Smith Jr. into the same bucket. I thought about that too, yeah. Uh, my favorite game when when talking about most likely steal is to go and look at the earliest, way too early draft mock that I can find. Shouts to Jonathan Wasserman at Bleacher Report. It's usually a Bleacher Report article. <laughs> this one's August 1st, 2022. Um, Derek White had four. Nick Smith Jr. seven. And Nick Smith Jr. moved up that board as we got closer to the college basketball season. A, a lot of the same, a lot of the same stuff here. You don't you don't get to kind of the third guy behind Scoot and Wemby, which is kind of what Nick Smith was for a while. Unless you have a game that NBA people are impressed by. And AJ Griffin was my pick last year for this selection for similar reasons. He had a very, he was a guy whose injuries I thought derailed his draft stock. And I think Nick, Nick Smith Jr. is, I mean, it mocks I'm looking at, you know, Nick Smith Jr. late teens and Derek Whitehead early 20s. Mm-hmm. And these are two guys that have, at one reason, at one point or another have been like top four picks in, in mocks for, for the 2023 draft. And he's just way more talented than anybody else you're going to pick at 17. And, and Derek Whitehead is way more talented than anybody else you're going to pick at 23. Yep. I thought that, like you said, it was supposed to be 
Like you said with Anthony Black, it was supposed to be a Nick Smith Jr. team. It wasn't. He came back, and there were guys that had kind of filled that spot already. Sure, you would have loved for him to like come back and be awesome. But still a 6'5", 2A guard that has a lot of potential. And, and, and some same. of the things I'm just not that worried. Some of the things that people are worried about are just things that when you get into an NBA building, I feel like you have a good chance of remedying things like decision making mm-hmm. and 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 impact on both ends of the floor. When you're six five, I feel like you can probably figure that out. And also, he's not a point guard. No, he's not. Doesn't seem like it. He no. can handle the ball. He is not a point guard. But he's also big enough that that's not a massive exactly. issue. Right, exactly. You can play him yeah. as a two. Yeah. Just don't make him into something he's not. In terms of the that, and just specifically with the decision making. Yeah. That's fine. That's not what he does. Right. He's not six feet tall. He doesn't have to have the ball in his hands. He's not a point guard. Yeah. And that is okay. I feel similarly about Nick Smith that I do. We're on the same wavelength here in terms of these two guys. Was it even his when he came back on the floor, was it somewhat disappointing? Sure. Were there any red flags where I went, wait a second, why was this guy, right, a top consensus top five prospect, probably a top three prospect at one point in this class? No. Mm-hmm. Right? There are some guys you just look and they go the whole season and you just go, I, I don't see it. Mm-hmm. Right? You have to convince yourself that they're going to become something they aren't. Or at least they are not at the moment they're getting drafted. I don't feel like that's the case for either of these guys. I feel much better about the floor and this idea that I I believe they have skills that translate that are going to make them good NBA players. Do they turn out to be the players that they were supposed to be? That's a different question, which is also why they're not going to be taken in the top 10. Mm-hmm. Right? There are certainly some concerns, but I'm right there with you that I am absolutely taking a flyer on both of these guys. To me, this is not betting on potential. This is betting on talent, and there's a difference. Agreed. Who was your 2022 pick? <laughs> uh, Justin Lewis did not play an NBA minute. <laughs> mm. Did he get drafted? Yes. Yes. Second round, I'm pretty sure. Sure. Not no great. NBA minutes, that's tough. I was all all over that too. You were excited. So excited. I just Yeah. Did he have did a G not League happen? Year? Did, did did he did he produce in the G League? Was he even uh, a steal for the G League? <laughs> oh, he went undrafted. Oh. I thought he got picked. He did not get picked. Yeah, I was trying There's to find moves. G League stats. Usually, uh, oh well. Two-way contract with the Bulls, yeah. July seventh. Yeah. Then was waived by the Bulls. Then signed another two-way contract with the Bulls. Yeah. So perhaps he's in the Bulls organization somewhere. That seems to be the most likely, the the most likely uh, status update for Justin Lewis. Swing and a miss on that one. It happens. It happens. Most overhyped. Feel very passionately about this. Okay. Kobe Bufkin. Oh, okay. Cool. 
I just don't get it. He says, I don't see it. I don't see I, it. I don't. Do you? Not especially. I also won't act like I... I didn't watch a ton of Kobe Bufkin at Michigan this year. Michigan was bad. I didn't especially. Yeah. I didn't yeah. especially care. I not that he's not kind of one of those. I'll take your word for it if he's on everybody's board at fifteen. But I'm also not. Uh, I don't ever remember. Like I find it interesting when guys pop up really high on a big board that I just don't remember anybody talking about in college for like mm-hmm. the entire year. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like eventually. And Taylor Hendricks kind of falls with, into that category. Too. Right. That's kind of the thing with Taylor Hendricks. Like, typically, if a guy makes his way high up a board as a mid-major guy, and of course, Kobe Bufkin is not a mid-major guy, but yeah. everybody and their mother was ready to watch John Morant in the in the tournament in 2019. Mm-hmm. Yep. And not for a single second was did I ever have a conversation about Taylor Hendricks. Like ever. Because he was a he was a solid freshman on a bad AAC team mm-hmm. or a fine AAC team, which is typically not a super high level college basketball team. It's interesting, yeah. but but Bufkin is is kind of in that bucket as well. I just what is the the thing he does really well? He can shoot the ball. He's got some size and versatility defensively. This is. Primarily about the fact that, right, he's pushing on going to be a lottery pick. If we're talking about second round, I feel very differently. To me, this is just, we're betting on all of these things getting better. And maybe they do. I just, you and I are both very firm believers in the I am wary of just assuming all of these improvements are going to happen. I want to have something tangible to point to that I know what I'm getting. And then you have areas for improvement. He's probably the biggest winner in the Emmanuel quickly as a really good NBA player. Sure. NBA player sweet six. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he just kind of, he does a lot of the things that I, feel like quickly was touted to do coming out of college. And I can feel like it can cut that NBA teams and NBA scouts feel like he could fill the same spot on their roster that Emmanuel quickly feel fills in New York. And if he does, then he's absolutely worth the number 16 overall pick or the number 15 overall pick. Mm -hmm. But Certainly not a foregone conclusion. Yeah. I'll see it when I I'll believe it when I see it. Fair. My most overhyped prospect is Victor Wimanyama. <laughs> <laughs> because when someone calls Victor Wimanyama <laughs> the best team sport prospect ever in history, yeah. In the history of team sports. You are you default into the overhyped prospect category, especially in the the unicorn nature of Victor Wembanyama. Just, just like it's like people are afraid to ever say anything negative about Victor Wembanyama, mm-hmm. which is fine. Like I get it, I do, 
but guys his size don't last very long in the NBA. Like they might last, they might be really productive for six years, and then when it's over, it's just over. See Yao Ming. Mm-hmm. Yao Ming was a highly productive NBA player until he wasn't. There's there's very few holes to poke in Victor's game. But it's a guy that already has had multiple lower body issues, already has back issues, is 7-4. Now he doesn't he does things differently than every other 7-4 guy ever. So he probably has the best chance. And I am very much in the camp of I, I'm 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 in the camp of we that people default to while he could get injured I think too often because like it's a professional sport of course he can mm-hmm. it's pretty it's pretty evident that the stress put on the body of a physical of, of a professional athlete is more than probably should be put on 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 anybody's body but it, it, there's a lot of prisoner of the moment thing like. Like LeBron James still exists. Like LeBron was absolutely every bit as hyped as Wembenyama was. Right. Is. And, and exceeded it? Right. 100%. Which is. Guys, the second best NBA player, second best basketball player, basketball player ever. Right. And so it's an interesting conversation of how far, because the expectations were so high, how far did they actually exceed him? Because that was kind of the narrative i don't know if it was quite that but it was a this is an all-time great right and and there were so many things about lebron that made him feel so surefire yes and women yama doesn't have all of those correct things. so nothing to do with women yama everything to do with the narrative around women yama he's probably going to be awesome mm-hmm and but he can let's, st- let's, he can let's cool it Woj on the right. best team sport prospect ever. He can be everything the Spurs hope for and still overhyped. Yes. We are to the point where that is possible. 100%. <laughs> but yes, that's my overhyped. Your 2022 pick, mine was Jaden Ivey. Ah, Kendall Brown, 6 NBA games. Feel pretty good about sure, that one. Sure. In the great state of Indiana. Yeah. Now, maybe even a little bit better than I thought he was going to be. We'll have to see where he goes from here. Mm-hmm. But so, so there's only one correct answer for highest ceiling, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, here's my here's my rationale. Okay. Right. If this is the greatest prospect we've ever seen, I would sure hope he has the highest ceiling. Correct. Correct. <laughs> correct. <laughs> Otherwise, what are we doing? Correct. Correct. Yeah, the, the correct answer here is Victor Wembanyama. My 2022 pick was Chet Holmgren. Same. Which I'm, I, I kind of remember that we haven't seen Chet Holmgren play an NBA basketball game, and mm-hmm. we should get to see that happen in 2023-24, yeah. and that's, that's something to be excited about. Uh, your highest floor? I want Brandon Miller. Okay. Just because you know exactly what you are getting. Mm-hmm. And that is a very productive, valuable NBA player. Assuming everything off the field is fine. Quote, unquote, yeah. fine. That's the, that's the understood caveat right. for all Brandon Miller discussion. Right. We don't need to 
get back into all that. We did a whole podcast on it from an NBA talent perspective on the floor. We've, we talked about this last year, too, as he kind of blew up. Right? He's a versatile, long, tall, 3 and D guy mm-hmm. who does more than, from our conversation about Taylor Hendricks, who isn't just a three-point shooter. He just has a great stroke. But he also is a three-level scorer who can handle the ball a little bit and playmake a little bit. Mm-hmm. He is going to be a factor offensively in multiple ways and can guard, you know, one through four. I feel great about all of that stuff translating. So the question is, is he a really good player? An all-star or a perennial all-star, you know, there just aren't many questions about whether this works. Therefore, and he also, plays in a he has a game that is the most valuable in the nba right because like you said earlier you don't necessarily want a three and d guy you want a two-way guy and that is what brandon miller is he he's the profile of a three and d but he's more all-encompassing than that Mm -hmm. so to me there are questions about webinyama there are questions about scoot of ways i could see this go badly I just don't see this going badly for Brandon Miller. Yeah, I have him in the kind of highest floor adjacent category that we'll get to momentarily. Um, my highest floor guy is Cameron mm. Whitmore. Mm. Okay. I think I'm to the point where I'm just going to default to... I, I think NBA... I, I, I think ready for the NBA physically is a big part of this category Mm -hmm. and Cameron Whitmore's physical profile is about as good as anybody else's in this draft six eight I mean sorry six six two thirty five serviceable three-point shooter had a good Villanova year despite not getting on the floor until halfway through it super athletic great cutter that's just a pretty high floor to start with and and his he has the he's a he's a good on ball defender that just needs better understanding of being an off ball defender and then he'll be like a really 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 well rounded defender. But it's much harder to be an on ball defender than it is to be a well rounded off ball defender yep. and just understand whatever scheme you're a part of and being locked in. Those things are easier to cultivate than just yep. hey. You guard are you guard that guy one on one while he's trying to score because it's almost impossible to do that in the NBA now with the way that the de- the defensive rules are are written. And I think he starts from a pretty good spot there. So we're talking about a really nice cutter. That's a guy that's going to play hard, a physically ready body, and good feel for the game. And you know we're talking about just a, some defensive understanding and going from 34% to 37.5% from the three-point line, and you've got a really well-rounded NBA player. So uh, Cam Whitmore is my – and part of this is also I just wanted to talk about other guys because, to be honest, like Victor – there's another category that Victor Wimbanyama is going to be my pick for. Like (laughs) like, there's another one. And, uh, And Brandon Miller would absolutely fit here. But I've got him elsewhere, and I wanted to throw another prospect in here. And Cameron Moore fits 
a lot of those, a lot of the, it checks a lot of the boxes that you'd like your highest floor guy to check. And not having a full season in college also from a right learning defensive philosophy standpoint, right? He wasn't mm-hmm. practicing every day for a while. Mm-hmm. So there's that part of it too, that he doesn't have three years of college coaching defensively in terms of what to do off the ball. I yep. really wanted to find a way to put him on this list. And I feel like he was one of those guys that was just kind of my second choice for a bunch of these. Scoot is the way I felt about I felt mm. that way about Scoot. Scoot's not okay. on my list. I do have Scoot Be- on my list. So, Is it next? No. Ooh, interesting. Okay. So, yeah, because another guy, right, didn't maybe have the season you were expecting, but he was good once he got healthy. Mm-hmm. And, again, no red flags, no concerns, just needed to get on the floor, needed to stay on the floor. But you saw, oh, yeah, that's an... <laughs> That dude is NBA ready for sure. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Um, your, my highest floor pick in 2022 was Jabari Smith. I As think was we mine. The same. I think mm-hmm. it was the same. Um, Victor Wembanyama is my most exciting prospect. Ah. Uh-huh. He just is. I mean, and, fair. and I'm fine. I'm fine with diversification here, but he just, he just is. So, um, <laughs> If for no other reason other than, like, very rarely do you get a prospect that you've literally never seen before and probably will never see again. And Victor Victor might be that kind of prospect. Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. Like, you might get adjacent guys because that's just... 7-2 guys just aren't immediately planted on the block for the first 18 years of their life anymore. Mm-hmm. So that might be adjacent guys, but the combination of of, of guard like skills in a seven four seven five body, and the hype that's around him, you know, I, I just feel like we're we're much more likely to have more guys like Poku than we are about the, of Victor, right? Most seven guy seven foot ball handler guys that it's like man, he's he's, he's like this big around is. We have more questions than than Victor. So if for no other reason than that, that's that's super exciting. And yeah, the fact or, that he gets to go to an organization like the Spurs, I think that also that also adds to my excitement. I'm just more excited about that than if he was going to Charlotte. I just sure. <laughs> or you get Kevin Durant, which has who has some of that. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, Webin Young is not the shooter Durant is, but this idea of he's just so big there's nothing you can do about it. Mm-hmm. And he plays as a seven foot shooting guard. Right. And maybe a little bit of the chat with kind of just the matchup difficulties of, right, he can play, make, handle the ball. There's a little bit of that in there too. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you've never seen the whole package from the shooting, the playmaking, and not just seven feet, but seven four. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like five inches taller than both of those guys. Right, exactly. It's crazy. Right. right. <laughs> Who's your most exciting? This is where I have Taylor Hendricks. Oh, okay, interesting. I'm not convinced he's going to be a great NBA player, but boy, am I excited to watch him. Mm. His mm. highlights are awesome. Now, it's the same thing over and over again. It's dunks mm. and block shots. <laughs> yep. But he is One awfully blocks per fun. Game. That's pretty good. Yeah. He doesn't just block people. He obliterates people. Yeah, he, he disrespects people. <laughs> yes, that's a good way to put it. I 
I love what he brings. Again, I have concerns about the lim- offensive limitations and how good of an NBA player he can be. But I'm I'm tuning in. I want to see what this guy's going to do. Sure. Because he has something he offers you offensively. And the other thing I was impressed with, too, is on the rare occasions he did drive the basketball, he has a soft touch. Mm-hmm. He can finish at the rim. The problem is getting from the perimeter to the rim. <laughs> yeah. But I, I just love athletes that find a way to translate their skills in ways that aren't just jumping. We've had this conversation about Ja. Mm-hmm. Ja's awesome to watch. Sometimes I just get frustrated because Ja doesn't even know where Ja is going. And the brilliance of Ja is that he figures it out in the air, right? Mm-hmm. There's part of that to me that will just not be that appealing. I would much rather have guys coming out of nowhere and blocking shots left and right. To me, he has one of the best kinds of athletic entertainment that there is to offer. So I'm not sold on him as I'm not in love with him as a prospect, but I am in love with his game and I am really excited to see him. W. I'm in. My most exciting last year was also Chet Holmgren. Mm. I had AJ Griffin. Sure, sure. Not exactly sure what my rationale was for that, but I felt good about the. We it's were both be pretty kind of similar to Taylor Hendricks. That would be my yeah, mind. I guess. Yeah, just I think he's gonna. Yeah, see, I feel like it was more of I think he's gonna be really good, and I'm excited to see him shoot the ball, mm. which is pretty much what happened. Yeah. This is where Brandon Miller comes in for me. Most important. Mm. Okay. Three and D guys, the floor. Some version of Paul George is the ceiling. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty good. Um, yeah. I'm just not that worried about his, like he's going to, he's going to gain 10 pounds of muscle. It's going to be fine. And he has everything that you were excited about Jabari Smith about last year. And you don't have to worry about his creativity abilities, right? We were kind of trying to will Jabari Smith into something other than a pick and pop jump shooter and a rim protector. Brandon Miller just kind of brings, right, not the, he, the, the versatility and the defense less about the rim protection and just being a, a perimeter defender. Of course, they're just two different players, but all of the lack of versatility you were a little worried about with Jabari on, on, Offense or defense, Brandon Miller just kind of brings 75% more versatility to all of it. Mm-hmm. So last year, my NBA ready guy was Paolo for Same. his skill set and his and just how ready he was physically. Yep. yep. I just think Brandon Miller is, from a skill set perspective, like even Victor, I think we'll have to figure out how to use his skill yeah. to go past NBA defenders. Absolutely. And how to deal with having much bigger, not not taller, but bigger, mm-hmm. better, more athletic guys stopping him from getting to the rim too. And sometimes with his, and, and the, the beauty of great scores in the NBA is not just that they have a bag, of tricks to use, but they know how to use it to efficiently create looks for themselves. And maybe with Victor, it's just like, I can do these things and I'm seven, five. So that's how I get my looks. But sometimes there's a lot of when watching Victor's 
tape, especially when he's on the perimeter, there's just a lot of, man, you did a lot there and didn't seem to move all that much. Mm-hmm. So I think the big step for Victor will be, okay, yes, you're seven, five, and you have these guard like skills. Let's be as efficient as possible when scoring. Right. And I just don't think Brandon Miller is going to have that type of learning curve. I just think he's really, really ready. Yep. Completely agree. I also had Paolo last season for that. I, we were just talking about that dude just gets to his spots. Yeah. He knows he exactly does exact, what he wants to do. He does exactly what he wants to do. And that then right. that's maybe the the best way to to put Paolo Bancaro, right? Mm-hmm. Is that he came into the league and immediately could get wherever he wanted to. And the pace yep. that he played with at Duke, you kind of felt like that's what he was going to be able to do because he was able to do it at Duke. And in the NBA, there aren't many guys that can stop a 6'10", 240 guy that, that have the skills that Paolo, do. Paolo does. Your biggest project. Oh, I haven't done my most NBA ready yet. Sorry. I jumped. Oh, my the... bad. My bad. My most scoop. NBA ready. Okay, cool. I'm in. When the I have, biggest... a, re- I have a rebuttal, but okay. I but I um but I'm here for it. I almost put him here, just for more for more reason than anything else because I felt like we need to talk about Scoot at some point in this podcast. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad I'm glad he's on your list. When the question is shot selection and decision making, that means you're physically ready for the NBA. True. Right, it's nothing about his game. It's can he stop taking so many difficult twos? Can he become more efficient? Can he pick his spots better? And I also kind of like you view this from a through a physical lens of can this player contribute day one in the NBA? Do you see this is what they're like Paolo, like Brandon Miller? This is what they are going to be, even if none of these other things that might eventually come happen. And to me, Scoot falls into that same category of that dude can just go get buckets. Maybe he doesn't turn into a superstar. Maybe he doesn't turn into a great facilitator. But that dude can score. Mm-hmm. He had, and especially in a draft where I'm with you with Webb and Yama, that. Of course, you're taking the the bet on the upside because you just have never seen somebody that can do the things he could do before. Mm-hmm. But from a day one NBA standpoint, yeah, there are some things he needs to figure out and get adjusted to. Whereas Scoot has been playing against men. And maybe it didn't go quite as well as everybody wanted it to. I still just believe in his pure ability to get to the basket. And that's the thing that's much like Powell last year of he's just going to be able to get to his spots. He's going to get his jumper off. You know, he's going to be able to score. It's a different kind of scoring, but I feel the same way about Scoot. Here's my thing with Scoot. And my only thing with Scoot. I like Scoot. I'm here for Scoot. I think Scoot's going to be a good NBA player. I, I worry about a score first guard at 6'2 who can't shoot. Like, what would Damian Lillard be if he wasn't one of the seven best shooters ever? Mm -hmm. There just aren't many spectacular scorers in the NBA that are 6'2". Damian Lillard is one of them because he can make a three from literally anywhere. Literally. 
that's that's my that's my pause with Scoot when it comes to NBA ready because he could improve the jump shot, improve the you know the playmaking is great, improve the decision making a little bit, and it goes from twenty seven percent from the three point line to thirty five, and then we're fine, right? And then it's awesome, but there are a lot of and maybe he's just so quick that it doesn't matter. Maybe it's Derrick Rose, Russell Westbrook-ish from a... It just doesn't yeah. matter. Or, or even Jaw. It just doesn't matter that I can't... That you don't really expect my three-point jump shot because you can't stay in front of me even if you're just standing under the basket waiting for me to run at you. And maybe that's what it ends up being. And, and I wouldn't be stunned if that was the case. But that's the thing that stops me just a little bit short of putting him in the most NBA ready category because if if there is just like there are so many arms and legs here from six five, six six guys guarding me, and I can't make them get close enough to me so that I can go around them because I can't shoot, then right, that's my thing with shooting. It's it's less about the sh- for a guy that's a scorer, it's less about you making three points instead of two, yes. even though that's part of it, and more about what the guy defending you has yep. to worry about because you could make three points instead yep. of two. How many times have we said that of you just got to be a threat? Right. Yeah. You have to make the... Because when you're as quick and as athletic as Scoot, you just need the defender for half a second to think that maybe you'll shoot it and you're going to go by him. Mm-hmm. That's all that it needs to be. He doesn't need to be an elite shooter. He doesn't need to be a Damian Lillard level shooter. Level shooter. That's just the the comp I came up with because Damian Lillard is a six two scorer that nobody can stop. And if he was healthy for the entire year, might have been a first team All NBA guy this year. And and Scoot's just Scoot. That's my that's my question with Scoot, and that would be my only rebuttal. Otherwise, I'm 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 all in. But that's why I stopped short of putting him there over over Brandon Miller yeah. and finding and, a different place to put Brandon Miller. And to me, that's more a question about ceiling and floor sure. than it is There's NBA. Certainly. Is. Sure. Because the, the counter to that is Russell Westbrook. Right. Right. That dude just came in and never really shot the ball well in his entire career. <laughs> mm-hmm. But he's going to be a Hall of Famer because he just out-athleticismed everybody. Sure. And <laughs> you out-cared know? everybody. Yes. How efforted, yeah, whatever adjectives you want to throw in there. No, I'm totally here for that. And that's uh, that's also part of why, you know, highest floor and most NBA ready, there's, you know, there's a, there's definitely some overlap there. Yeah, because there are definitely questions about, right, if you're taking Scoot 2 overall and we're kind of selling Scoot as a number one quality prospect in most drafts, mm-hmm. right, that framing puts his skill set into a different conversation because all of a sudden now you're taking somebody that's supposed to be the face of your franchise that right struggles to shoot and mm-hmm. is not six five. Ultimately, I think it's going to be fine. I think so and too. He very well may turn into a respectable shooter, and I'm right there with you. That's all he needs. Mm-hmm. All I know is from day one, that dude's going to be able to blow by people and get to the basket. I think you're right. Your biggest project, Amari Bailey. Ooh. I like that one. It's Thank good. you. I'm a big fan. I still believe in, right? He's one of those guys sure. that I'm a big fan. I'm in. <laughs> he's one of those guys that came in and you just kind of went, I don't really see it. Mm-hmm. Right. 
he was playing and he didn't get all that much playing time because he was on a really good team with a bunch of veterans. But there weren't a lot of times where you went, oh, that's that's why he was a five-star recruit. Mm-hmm. Which is now why his draft stock has plummeted. However, to me, this is not a question about his talent as much as it is how to utilize it. Because all of a sudden, through the combine and the draft prep process, it turns out he's a pretty good facilitator. And I feel like what we learned at UCLA is that he is not an elite scorer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but all of a sudden, if you can turn him from an elite scorer into a facilitator who also right has the athleticism, the ability to defend, all of those kind of things, can shoot the ball, now you're on to something. Mm-hmm. And so I haven't given up on him as a player. I just feel like you need to, he needs to figure out what he does best and how to make that work. And I don't think he, the role that at least I expected him to fill at UCLA, I feel like the player he was supposed to be and was kind of presented as is not who he actually is. So he needs to just kind of go back to the drawing board and re kind of reintroduce himself to everybody as less of a dynamic scorer and more of a facilitator. Mm. So it's going to take some work, but I, I'm still very much in the Amari Bailey can be a competent NBA player that has a, a good NBA career. I'm in. Mine's Amani Bates. Mm. Cause that dude can, that dude can get buckets. That dude's six, eight mm-hmm. with, with really, really awesome on ball skills. The project here is getting him to care about literally anything else and turning him into a winning basketball player because he wasn't at Memphis. He wasn't at Eastern Michigan. And it just doesn't seem like he cares about much else. And the shot selection is not great. And But he has the, the things that are like he can shoot the crap out of the basketball. And I think it's interesting. I've seen in a couple of different places, people suggesting the idea of him being a, like, like just being a guy who runs off screens all day and shoots threes. I think that's really interesting because he can shoot it from pretty much anywhere. Um, maybe it's, but maybe it's one of those things where he's kind of that guy with the, with the, you know, first guys on the death chart, but then can be a primary score on mm-hmm. a second unit kind second of thing. unit yeah he's more skilled than basically anybody else who goes in the back half of the second round because it's probably where he's gonna end up but he's i mean this is a guy that we were t- talking about where he committed to college years before he actually went to college that's the type of prospect yep. this guy was and it's been a weird you know four years since but he does some things that are really like that most basketball players can't do. And there are some other things that he needs that, that need a lot of work, like a lot of work, but, but if, if someone can figure him out and how to communicate to him effectively, what he needs to do to carve himself out an NBA career, I think it could be, I think it could be cool. I like that. Last year, my guy was Nikola Jovic Poku part two. (laughs) That's what I said on the pod. I'm in. Hey, 
he is out there. Yeah, he is one of the options to guard Nikola Jokic. It's true. It's true. Is Who he doing yours? so? No. No. <laughs> I just think it's funny that Jovic is, as we're talking about how the Heat are just incapable of defending Jokic. Mm-hmm. Nikola Jovic is an option. It's true. What's uh, who was yours last year? Blake Wesley. Ah, what a shout. Blake Wesley did play in 37 games for the Spurs. Sure. Do you know what he shot from the field? Actually, let me start with this. He shot 38.5% from three. You want to guess what he shot from the field? Is it worse? (laughs) Yeah. 34%. 32.1. That's really impressive. That's impressive. Did you take I like, still feel. Did you take like two? Did you take like eleven twos all year? And he made he took, and, he, and he made like three of them, <laughs> or two of them, I guess. I I feel like he took a decent amount. I didn't actually look that in depth into it. I was just going, oh yes, that this justifies my position that there's there's some work to be done, mm. and then moved on. <laughs> fair, 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 fair. Um, uh, your fit dependent player, please. I think you're going to like this one. Okay. TJD. Sure. That's my guy. I like TJD. I hate Indiana. I like TJD. I'm in on TJD. We've been talking about this all season. Um, your Just, boy took your boy took 40. He took 163 twos. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> he he shot he shot 30% from two point field range. Yeah. 30%. He was he yeah. was 20 of 52 from the three-point line. He was 49 of 163 from two-point range. That's more shots than I thought Blake Wesley would take in his first, in his first mm-hmm. year. So, oh, for sure. We'll take it. Yeah. We'll take it. Yeah. Okay, continue on my boy TJD. It's very simple. Dear whatever team drafts him, don't make him into something he's not. Let him do the things he does well. Mm-hmm. You know, he's out there shooting threes at his workouts. How many of them are going in? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Don't ask him to guard big centers. Let him facilitate. Don't put too much responsibility on him. But he can help you defensively. He is an underrated defender, he's an underrated athlete. He's an underrated passer, and he can at least, you know, make jump shots. Mm-hmm. Whether the three ever comes, we'll see. But he is very aware, at least it seems, that his NBA future is going to be largely dependent on his ability to stretch the floor. Right? Because he dude. is not a center at the NBA level. He's just not. Probably not. Maybe a small But he five. does. Yes. But he does have some of defensively what Bam Adebayo has, which is, and and not to the same degree, but this idea that, right, you are small, but you also give your team some defensive versatility because of that. Mm -hmm. This is why Bam believes he should win Defensive Player of the Year, because he doesn't just guard centers. He can guard Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum too. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not saying Trace Jackson Davis can do that. But that's why it's fit dependent for me is in the right spot. I feel like he could be a nice piece that actually helps you. And in the wrong place, he's going to look lost and you're not going to see all of the things that made him so good at Indiana. 
I like that. Last year, my pick was Jalen Duran. I have a very similar pick this year. Derek Lively. That's correct. I don't, I don't love Derek Lively, the prospect. But Derek Lively does a couple things really, really yep. well. Yep. Um, and he's also, and part of this is he's probably going to go in the lottery. Derek Lively. Mm-hmm. And that just inherently makes teams want to get more out of their lottery pick than maybe they're capable of. It's just instinct, right? I get it. Just spent the 12th overall pick on you. You better be awesome. But the best way for Derek Lively to be awesome in the NBA is for you to let him roll to the basket hard, let him run the floor, and let him block shots. Don't ask him to do anything else. Don't ask him to to turn his back to the basket. None of it. Just let him... You need him to be a freight train of momentum in whatever way, like whatever way that actually means for that particular situation, whether it's running transition or making a beeline to the front of the rim after he sets a pick or, or, you know, blocking a shot from the weak side, just let him do those things and he'll be a productive part of your basketball team. But if, if you get him thinking too much because you've tried to put too much on his plate, then you take away some of just the natural instinct that come with running the floor and blocking shots when you're as physically gifted as he is. So just let him do his thing. Very similar to Jalen Dern last year. And I think Jalen Dern is a better prospect and a better NBA player than Lively will be, at least a more versatile one. But I think Lively has a chance to be really good at the things he does really well. And maybe he's just not the type of guy that you try to push into really expanding his game. Just let him do, at least early on, just let him do those things. And I think he'll be a productive NBA player. And I really do think it it might not show up on the stat sheet, but to me, there's incredible value in what he offers. We talked about this after the, the the Duke North Carolina game. In which he basically, that was a long time ago. I, I think it was the Duke North Carolina game where he basically won it by himself just by blocking shots. Oh, I think I remember that. Now, NBA a little bit different in that sense, but he is that kind of force at the rim that you could be talking about an all-defensive team member who makes players think twice about putting up shots near the basket. There is real value in that that you can't quantify. That, to me, can be justified by a back-end lottery pick, 15, 16, something like that. In the right situation, to your point. You need to have the other stuff and not be expecting him to play a bigger role in your team than that. But if you're if you're a team that, again, is kind of looking for another piece, something else to add, rather than just building potential, he's a very intriguing option. Derek Lively, on February 4th, in a win for Duke over UNC, played 34 minutes, was two of three from the floor, had four points, 14 rebounds, and how many blocks? Eight. That's correct. Eight. Eight blocks. Yep. Spot on. Yep. That's what he can do. Agreed. Agreed. You got anything else? Who? Oh, oh, oh. So, my fit dependent. <laughs> In a very... It, also kind of similar 
was Walker Kessler. Ooh. 9.2 points, 8.4 rebounds, 2.3 blocks. Don't ask him to do anything that he's not, you know, he's got some limitations, but also there are some things he can do really, really well. Mm. And look at what happened. He went on a team where he just kind of gets to do his thing. And here we are. Being a way better NBA defensive player than anyone thought he could be was helpful too. Yes, that too. That's helpful. That's helpful. (laughs) 100%. All right. There you go. NBA draft superlatives. I'll I'll make note of these so that I don't have to listen back to our own podcast. Uh, I appreciate before, the effort. Before the 2024 NBA draft superlatives pod. But um, we're two weeks out. Next Thursday, I believe we have a mock draft of sorts on the docket. We'll iron out those details. But it will be some sort of mock draft type of podcast on Thursday. A week from now, June fifteenth, and then we will we will pod on June twenty third after the NBA draft. The June twenty third will be the Friday. We will pod after the draft on June twenty second. Those are the next two podcasts, and then we'll take ten days without a podcast and come back on Monday. The I think it's like July third. So. That's the next few weeks of the podcast. More NBA draft stuff coming in in the next few weeks. Please subscribe to the Jays for Days podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Jays for Days Pod. Check out the YouTube. We very much appreciate it. And we'll be back next Thursday. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. And we will see you. 